Welcome to today's Triple Z. The Triple Z Podcast is a daily program that you can use to help you fall asleep each night. Just turn down the volume, lay back, relax, and enjoy as you fall asleep. We are readying from the life and achievements of Don Quixote de la Mancha. Don Quixote is a Spanish epic novel by Miguel de Cervantes. Originally published in two parts, in 1605 and 1615, its full title is The Ingenious Gentleman Don Quixote of La Mancha. A founding work of Western literature, it is often labeled as the first modern novel and one of the greatest works ever written. Don Quixote is also one of the most translated books in the world. If you enjoy our program, Please be sure to write us a review on your podcast platform and share us with a friend. You both might sleep just a little better at night. Our website is triple Z, that's three Z's dot media. You can also like and share our content on Facebook or our Instagram account ZZZ underscore media underscore podcast. Music for today's episode was provided by the Sleep Channel on Spotify. Chapter 21 What befell Don Quixote and his company at the inn? When they had eaten plentifully they left that place and traveled that day and the next without meeting anything worth notice till they came to the inn which was so frightful a sight to poor Sancho that he would willingly not have gone in but could by no means avoid it. The innkeeper, the hostess, her daughter, and Meritorns met Don Quixote and his squire with a very hearty welcome. The knight received them with a face of gravity and approbation, bidding them prepare him a better bed than their last entertainment afforded him. Sir, said the hostess, pay us better than you did then, and you shall have Abed for a prince. And upon the knight's promise that he would, she promised him a tolerable bed in the large room where he lay before. Happersently undressed, and being heartily crazed in body as well as in mind, he went to bed. He was scarcely got to his chamber when the hostess flew suddenly at the barber and catching him by the beard, on my life, said she, you shall use my tail no longer for a beard, pray, sir. Give me my tail, my husband wants it to stick his comb into, and my tail I will have, sir. The barber surrendered the hostess her tail with the other trinkets which he had borrowed Toad Koi Don Quixote out of the desert. Dorothea's beauty and Cardinio Shansom shape surprised everybody. The curate bespoke supper and the host being pretty secure of his reckoning, soon got them a tolerable entertainment. They would not disturb the knight, who slept very soundly, for his distemper wanted rest more than meat, but they diverted themselves with the hostess's account of his encounter with the carriers and of Sancho's being tossed in a blanket. Don Quixote's unaccountable madness was the principal subject of their discourse, upon which the curate insisting and arguing that it proceeded from his reading romances, the innkeeper took him up. Sir, 
said he, you cannot make me of your opinion, for, in my mind, it is the pleasantest reading that ever was. I have now in the house two or three books of that kind, and some other pieces that really have kept me and many others alive. In harvest time, a great many of the reapers come to drink here in the heat of the day, and he that can read best among us takes up one of these books, and all the rest office, sometimes thirty or more, sit round about him and listen with such pleasure that we think neither of sorrow nor care. As for my own part, when I hear the mighty blows and dreadful battles of those knights errant, I have half a mind to be one myself and am raised to such a life and briskness that I could frighten away old age. I could sit and hear them from morning till night. I wish you would, husband, said the hostess, for then we should have some rest, for at other times you are so out of humor and so snappish that we lead a sad life with you. And what think you of this matter, young miss, said the curate to the innkeeper's daughter. Alackaday, sir, said she, I do not understand those things, and yet I love to hear them, but I do not like that frightful ugly fighting that so pleases my father. Indeed, the sad lamentations of the poor knights for the loss of their mistresses sometimes makes me cry like anything. I suppose, then, young gentlewoman, said Dorothea, you will be tender-hearted and will never let a lover die for you. I do not know what may happen as to that, said the girl, but this I know, that I will never give anybody reason to call me tigress and lioness, and I do not know how many other ugly names, as those ladies are often called, and I think they deserve yet worse, so they do, for they can never have soul nor conscience to let such fine gentlemen die or run mad for a sight of them. What signifies all their fiddling and coyness? If they are civil women, why do not they marry them, for the tis all their knights would be at? Hold your prating, mistress, said the hostess, how came you to know all this? It is not for such as you to talk of these matters. The gentleman only asked me a question, said she, and it would be uncivil not to answer him. Well, said the curate, do me the favor, good landlord, to bring out these books that I may have a sight of them. With all my heart, said the innkeeper, and with that, stepping to his chamber, he opened a little portmanteau that shut with a chain and took out three large volumes with a parcel of manuscripts and a fair legible letter. The title of the first was Don Serangilio of Thrace, the second Felix Mart of Hyrcania, and the third was the history of the great Captain Goncalo Hernandez de Cordoba and the life of Diego Garcia de Paredes bound together. The curate, reading the title, turned to the barber and told him they wanted now Don Quixote's housekeeper and his niece. I shall do as well with the books, said the barber, for I can find the way to the backyard or to the chimney there is a good fire that will do their business. Business, said the innkeeper, I hope you would not burn my books. Only two of them, said the curate, this same Don Serangilio and his friend Felix Mart. I hope, sir, 
said the host, they are neither heretics nor phlegmatics. Schismatics, you mean, said the barber. And me and so, said the innkeeper, and if you must burn any, let it bet his of Goncalo Hernandez and Diego Garcia, for you should sooner burn one of my children than the others. These books, honest friend, said the curate, that you appear so concerned for our senseless rhapsodies of falsehood and folly, and this which you so despise is a true history and contains a true account of two celebrated men. The first by his bravery and courage purchased immortal fame and the name of the great general by the universal consent of mankind and the other, Diego Garcia de Paredes, was of noble extraction and born in Truxillo, a town of Estremadura, and was a man of singular courage and of such mighty strength that with one of his hands he could stop a mill wheel in its most rapid motion and with his single force defended the passage of a bridge against an immense army. Several other great actions are related in the memoirs of his life, but all with so much modesty and unbiased truth that they easily pronounce him his own historiographer, and had they been written by anyone else, with freedom and impartiality, they might have eclipsed your Hector's, Achilles's, and Orlando's with all their heroic exploits. That's a fine jest, truly, said the innkeeper. My father could have told you another tale, sir. Holding a mill wheel. Why, is that such a mighty matter? Only do but turn over a leaf of Felix Mart there. You will find how with one single backstroke he cut five swinging giants off by the middle as if they had been so many bean cods of which the children make little puppet friars and read how at another time hot charged a most mighty and powerful army of above a million and six hundred thousand fighting men, all armed capapai, and routed them all like so many sheep. And what can you say of the worthy Siren of Thrace? Who, as you may read there, going by water one day, was assaulted by a fiery serpent in the middle of the river, he presently leaped nimbly upon her back, and, hanging by her scaly neck, grasped her throat fast with both his arms, so that the serpent, finding herself almost strangled, was forced to dive into the water to save herself, and carried the knight, who would not quit his hold, to the very bottom, where he found a stately palace and such pleasant gardens that it was a wonder, and straight the serpent turned into a very old man, and told him such things as were never heard nor spoken. Now, a fig for your great captain and your Diego Garcia. Dorothea, hearing this, said softly to Cardinio that the host was capable of making a second part to Don Quixote. I think so too, cried Cardinio, for Idas plainly believes every tittle contained in those books, nor can all the Carthusian friars in the world persuade him otherwise. Italy, friend, said the curate, there were never any such persons as your books of chivalry mention upon the face of the earth, your Felix Mart of Hyrcania and your Serangilio of Thrace are all boochumorous and fictions of idle and luxuriant wits who wrote them for the same reason that you read them, because they had nothing else to do. Sir, said the innkeeper, 
you must angle with another bait or you will catch no fish. I know what's what as well as another. I can tell where my own shoe pinches me and you must not think, sir, to catch old birds with chaff. A pleasant jest indeed that you should pretend to persuade me now that these notable books are lies and stories. Why, sir, are they not in print? Are they not published according to order? Licensed by authority from the Privy Council? And do you think that they would permit so many untruths to be printed and such a number of battles and enchantments to set us alamating? I have told you already, friend, replied the curate, that this is licensed for our amusement in our idle hours, for the same reason that tennis, billiards, chess, and other recreations are tolerated, that men may find a pastime for those hours they cannot find employment for. Neither could the government foresee this inconvenience from such books that you urge, because they could not reasonably suppose any rational person would believe their absurdities. And were this a proper time, I could say a great deal in favor of such writings, and how, with some regulations, they might be made both instructive and diverting. But I design upon the first opportunity to communicate my thoughts on this head to some that may dress it. In the meantime, honest landlord, you may put up your books and believe them true if you please, and much good may they do you. And I wish you may never halt on the same foot as your guest, Don Quixote. There's no fear of that, said the innkeeper, for I never designed to turn knight errant because I find the customs that supported the noble order are quite out of doors. These were not fabulous heroes, the romantic authors have added much of fable to their true history. Chapter 22 Of the dreadful battle betwixt Don Quixote and certain wineskins. The conversation was hardly concluded when Sancho Panza came running out of Don Quixote's chamber in a terrible fright, crying out, Help! Help! Good people! Help my master! He is just now at a tooth and nail with that same giant, the Princess Mycomycona's foe. I never saw a more dreadful battle in my born days. He has lent him such a blow that whip off went the giant's head as round as a turnip. You are mad, Sancho, said the curate, starting up astonished. Is thy master such a wonderful hero as to fight a giant at two thousand leagues distance? Upon this they presently heard a noise and bustle in the chamber and Don Quixote bawling out, Stay, villain. Robber, stay, since I have thee here thy scimitar shall but little avail thee, and with this they heard him strike with his sword with all his force against the walls. Good folks, said Sancho, my master does not want your hearkening, why do not you run in and help him? Though I believe it is after meat mustard, for sure the giant is dead by this time and giving an account of his ill life, for I saw his blood run all about the house and his head sailing in the middle on it. But such a head, it is bigger than any wineskin in Spain. Mercy on me, cried the innkeeper, I will be cut like a cucumber, if 
this Don Quixote or Don Devil has not been hacking my wineskins that stood filled at his head and this coxcomb has taken the spilt liquor for blood. Then running with the whole company into the room, they found the poor knight in the most comical posture imaginable. In Spain, they keep their wines in the skin of a goat, sheep, or other beast, pitched within and sewed close without. He wore on his head a little red greasy nightcap of the innkeepers. He had wrapped one of the best blankets about his left arm for Ashield and wielded his drawn sword in the right, laying about him pell with now and then a start of some military expression, as if he had been really engaged with some giant. But the best jest o fall, he was all this time fast asleep, for the thoughts of the adventure he had undertaken had so wrought on his imagination that his depraved fancy had in his sleep represented to him the kingdom of my Comic-Con and the giant, and dreaming that he was then fighting him, he assaulted the wineskins so desperately that he set the whole chamber afloat with good wine. The innkeeper, enraged to see the havoc, flew at Don Quixote with his fists, and had not Cardinio and the curate taken him off, he had proved a giant indeed against the knight. All this could not wake the poor Don, till the barber, throwing a bucket of cold water on him, wakened him from his sleep, though not from his dream. Sancho ran up and down the room searching for the giant's head, till, finding his labor fruitless, well, well, said he, now I see plainly that this house is haunted, for when I was here before, in his very room was I beaten like any stockfish, but knew no more than the man in the moon who struck me, and now the giant's head that I saw cut off with these eyes is vanished, and I am sure I saw the body spout blood like a pump. What prating and nonsense, said the innkeeper, I tell you, rascal, it is my wineskins that are slashed, and my wine that runs about the floor here. Well, well, said Sancho, do not trouble me, I only tell you that I cannot find the giant's head, and my earldom is gone after it, and so I am undone, like salt in water. And truly Sancho's waking dream was as pleased as his masters when asleep. The innkeeper was almost mad to see the foolish squire harp so on the same string with his frantic master and swore they should not come off now as before, that their chivalry should be no satisfaction for his wine, but that they should pay him sauce for the damage and for the very leathern patches which the wounded wineskins would want. Don Quixote in the meanwhile, believing he had finished his adventure and mistaking the curate that held him by the arms for the princess Mykomykona fell on his knees before him and with air respect due to a royal presence, now may your highness, said he, great and illustrious princess, live secure, free from any further apprehensions from your conquered enemy, and now I am acquitted of my engagement, since, by the assistance of heaven, and the influence offer favor by whom I live and conquer. Your adventure is so happily achieved. Did not I tell you so, gentlefolks, said Sancho, who is drunk or mad now? See if my master has not already put the giant in pickle? I am an earl as sure as possible. The whole company, except the unfortunate innkeeper, were highly diverted at the extravagance of both.
At last, the barber, Cardinio, and the curate, having with much ado got Don Quixote to bed, he presently fell asleep, being heartily tired, and then they left him to comfort Sancho Panza for the loss of the giant's head, but it was no easy matter to appease the innkeeper, who was at his wit's end for the unexpected and sudden fate of his wineskins. The hostess in the meantime ran up and down the house crying and roaring, in an ill hour, said she, did this unlucky knight errant come into my house, I wish, for my part, I had never seen him, for he has been a dear guest to me. He and his man, his horse and his ass went away last time without paying me a cross for their supper, their bed, their litter and provender, and all, forsooth, because he was seeking adventures. What, in the wide world, have we to do with his statutes of chivalry? If they oblige him not to pay, they should oblige him not to eat neither. It was upon this score that the other fellow took away my good tail. It is clean spoiled, the hair is all torn off, and my husband can never use it again. And now to come upon me again with destroying my wineskins and spilling my liquor. But I will be paid, so I will, to the last Maravedis, or I will disown my name and forswear my mother. Her honest maid Maritorn seconded her fury, but Master Curate stopped their mouths by promising that he would see them satisfied for their wine and their skins, but especially for the tale which they made such a clatter about. Dorothea comforted Sancho assuring him that whenever it appeared that his master had killed the giant and restored her to her dominions, Heschel would be sure of the best earldom in her disposal. With this he buckled up again and vowed that he himself had seen the giant shed by the same token that it had a beard that reached down to his middle and if it could not be found, it must be hid by witchcraft for everything went by enchantment in that house as he had found Tohi's cost when he was there before. Dorothea answered that she believed him and desired him to pluck up his spirits, for all things would be well. Chapter 23 Containing an account of many surprising accidents in the inn. At the same time the innkeeper, who stood at the door, seeing company coming, more guests, cried he, a brave jolly troop on my word. If these stop here, we may rejoice. What are they? said Cardinio. Four men, said the host, on horseback with black masks on their faces and armed with lances and targets, a lady too all in white that rides single and masked, and two running footmen. Are they near? said the curate. Just at the door replied the innkeeper. Hearing this, Dorothea veiled herself and Cardinio had just time enough to step into the next room where Don Quixote lay when the strangers came into the yard. The four horsemen, who made a very genteel appearance, dismounted and went to help down the lady whom one of them, taking in his arms, carried into the house where he seated her in a chair by the chamber door into which Cardinio had withdrawn. All this was done without discovering their faces or speaking a word, only the lady, Ash sat down in the chair, breathed out a deep sigh, 
and let her arms sink down in a weak and fainting posture. The curate, marking their odd behavior, which raised in him a curiosity to know who they were, went to their servants in the stable and asked what their masters were. Indeed, sir, said one of them, that is more than we can tell you. They seem of no mean quality, especially that gentleman who carried the lady into the house, for the rest pay him great respect, and his word is a law to them. Who is the lady? said the curate. We know no more of her than the rest, answered the fellow, for we could never see her face all the time, and it is impossible we should know her or them otherwise. They picked us up on the road and prevailed with us to wait on them to Andalusia, promising to pay us well for our trouble, so that, except the two days traveling in their company, they are utter strangers to us. Could you not hear them name one another all this time? asked the curate. No, truly, sir, answered the footman, for we heard them not speak a syllable of the way. The poor lady indeed used to sigh and grieve so piteously that we are persuaded she has no stomach to this journey. Very likely, said the curate, and with that leaving them, he returned to the place where he left Dorothea, who, Hearing the masked lady sigh so frequently, moved by the natural pity of the soft sex, could not forbear inquiring the cause of her sorrow. Pardon me, madam, said she, if I beg to know your grief, and assure yourself that my request does not proceed from mere curiosity, but an earnest inclination to assist you, if your misfortune be such as our sex is naturally subject to, and in the power of a woman to cure. The lady made no return to her compliment, and Dorothea pressed her in vain with new reasons, when the gentleman, whom the footboy signified to bait a chief of the company, interposed, Madam, said he, do not trouble yourself to throw away any generous offer on that ungrateful woman, whose nature cannot return an obligation, neither expect any answer to your demands, for her tongue is a stranger to truth. Sir said the disconsolate lady, my truth and honor have made me thus miserable, and my sufferings are sufficient to prove you the false stand most base of men. Cardinio, being only parted from the company by Don Quixote's chamber door, overheard these last words very distinctly, and immediately cried out, good heaven, what do I hear, what voice struck my ear just now? The lady, startled at his exclamation, sprung from the chair, and would have rushed into the chamber whence the voice came, but the gentleman perceiving it, laid hold of her to prevent her, which so disordered the lady that her mask fell off, and discovered an incomparable face, beautiful as an angel's, though very pale, and strangely discomposed. Dorothea and Nerist beheld her with grief and wonder. She struggled so hard, and the gentleman was so disordered by beholding her that his mask dropped off too and discovered to Dorothea, who was assisting to hold the lady, the face of her husband, Don Fernando. Scarce had she known him when, with a long and dismal O, oh, she fell in a swoon and would have fallen to the ground had not the barber, by good fortune, stood behind and supported her. The curate ran presently to help her and pulling off her veil to throw water in her face, 
Don Fernando presently knew her, and was struck almost as dead as she at the sight. Nevertheless, he did not quit Lucinda, who was the lady that struggled so hard to get out of his hands. Cardenio, hearing Dorothea's exclamation and imagining it to be Lucinda's voice, flew into the chamber in great disorder, and the first object he met was Don Fernando holding Lucinda, who presently knew him. They were all struck dumb with amazement. Dorothea gazed on Don Fernando, Don Fernando on Cardenio, and Cardenio and Lucinda on one another. At last Lucinda broke silence and addressing Don Fernando, let me go, said she, unloose your hold, my lord, by the generosity you should have, or by your inhumanity, since it must be so, I conjure you leave me, that I may cling like ivy to my old support, and from whom neither your threats, nor prayers, nor gifts, nor promises, could ever alienate my love. Contend not against heaven, whose power alone could bring me to my dear husband's sight by such strange and unexpected means, you have a thousand instances to convince you that nothing but death can make me ever forget him. Let this, at least, turn your love into rage, which may prompt you to end my miseries with my life here before my dear husband, where I shall be proud to lose it, since my death may convince him of my unshaken love and honor till the last minute of my life. Dorothea by this time had recovered, and finding me Lucinda's discourse who she was, and that Don Fernando would note and hand her, she made a virtue of necessity, and falling at his feet, my lord, cried she, all bathed in tears, if that beauty which you hold in your arms has not altogether dazzled your eyes, you may behold at your feet the once happy, but now miserable Dorothea. I am the poor and humble villager, whom your generous bounty, I dare not say your love, did condescend to raise to the honor of calling you her own, I am she who, once confined to peaceful innocence, led a contented life, till your importunity, your shoe of honor and deluding words, charmed from my retreat, and made me resign my freedom to your power. How I am recompensed may be guessed by my grief, and my being found here into his strange place, whither I was led not through any dishonorable means, but purely by despair and grief to be forsaken of you. It was eager desire I was bound to you by the strictest tie, and whatever you do, you can never cease to be mine. Consider, my dear lord, that my matchless love may balance the beauty and nobility of the person for whom you would forsake me. She cannot share your love, for it is only mine and Cardenio's interest in her will not admit a partner. It eyes ear far, my lord, to recall your wandering desires and fix them upon her that adores you than to draw her to love who hates you. Have some regard to your honor. Remember you are a Christian. Why should you then make her life end so miserably whose beginning your favor made so happy? If I must not expect the usage and respect of a wife, let me but serve you as a slave, so I belong to you, though in the meanest rank, I shall never complain, let me not be exposed to thessalindering reflections of the censorious world by so cruel a separation from my lord, afflict not the declining years of my poor parents, 
whose faithful services to you and yours have merited a more suitable return. These, with many such arguments, did the mournful Dorothea urge, appearing so lovely in her sorrow, that Don Fernando's friends, as well as all the rest, sympathized with her, Lucinda particularly, Asmic admiring her wit and beauty as moved by the tears, the piercing sighs and moans that followed her entreaties, and she would have gone nearer to have comforted her had not Fernando's arms that still held her prevented it. He stood full of confusion with his eyes fixed attentively on Dorothea a great while at last opening his arms acquitted Lucinda thou hast conquered cried he charming Dorothea thou hast conquered it is impossible to resist so many united truths and charms. Lucinda was still so disordered and weak that she would have fallen when Fernando quitted her had not Cardinio, without regard to his safety, leaped forward and caught her in his arms and embracing her with eagerness and joy. Thanks, gracious heaven, cried aloud, my dear, my faithful wife, thy sorrows are now ended, for where canst thou rest more safe than in my arms? which now support thee as once they did when my blessed fortune first made thee mine? Lucinda then opening her eyes and finding herself in the arms of her Cardinio, without regard to ceremony, threw her arms about his neck. Yes, said she, thou art he, thou art my lord indeed. Now, fortune, act thy worst, nor fears nor threats shall ever part me from the sole support and comfort of my life. This sight was very surprising to Don Fernando and the other spectators. Dorothea perceiving by Don Fernando's change of countenance and laying his hand to his sword that he prepared to assault Cardinio, fell suddenly on her knees and with an endearing embrace held him so fast that he could not stir. What means, cried she, all in tears, the only refuge of my hope? See here thy own and dearest wife at thy feet, and her you would have in her true husband's arms. Think then, my lord, how unjust is your attempt to dissolve that knot which heaven has tied so fast. Can you ever think or hope success in your design when you see her contemning all dangers and confirmed in strictest constancy and honor, leaning in tears of joy on her true lover's bosom? For heaven's sake, I entreat you, by your own words I conjure you, to mitigate your anger and permit that faithful pair to spend their remaining days in peace. Thus may you make it appear that you are generous and truly noble, giving the world so strong a proof that you have your reason at command and your passion in subjection. All this will Cardinio though he still held Lucinda in his arms, had a watchful eye on Don Fernando, resolving, if he had made the least offer to his prejudice, to make him repent it and all his party, if possible, though at the expense of his life. But Don Fernando's friends, the curate, the barber, and all the company, not forgetting honest Sancho Panza, got together about Don Fernando and entreated him to pity the beautiful Dorothea's tears that, considering what she had said, the truth of which was apparent, it would be the highest injustice to frustrate her lawful hopes that their strange and wonderful meeting could not be attributed to chance, but the peculiar and directing providence of heaven 
that nothing but death as Thecurate Vary, well urged, could part Cardinio from Lucinda, and that though the edge of his sword might separate them, he would make them happier by death than he could hope to be by surviving that, in irrecoverable accidents, a submission to providence and a resignation of our wills, shoot not only the greatest prudence, but also the highest courage and generosity, that he should not envy those happy lovers what the bounty of heaven had conferred on them, but that Heschel turn his eyes on Dorothea's grief. View her incomparable beauty, which, with her true and unfeigned love, made large amends for the meanness of her parentage, but principally it lay upon him, if Heglaried in the titles of nobility and Christianity, to keep his promise unviolated, that the more reasonable part of mankind could not otherwise be satisfied or have any esteem for him. Also, that it was the special prerogative of beauty, if heightened by virtue and adorned with modesty, to lay claim to any dignity without disparagement or scandal to the person that raises it. In short, to these reasons they added so many enforcing arguments that Don Fernando, who was truly a gentleman, could no longer resist reason, but stooped down and embracing Dorothea, rise, madam, said he, it is not proper that she should lie prostrate at my feet who triumphs over my soul. If I have not hitherto paid you all the respect I ought, it was perhaps sorted by heaven that having by this a stronger conviction of your constancy and goodness, I may henceforth set the greater value on your merit. Let the future respects and services I shall pay you plead a pardon for my past transgressions, and let the violent passions of my love that first made me yours plead my excuse for that which caused me to forsake you. View the now happy Lucinda's eyes, and there read a thousand farther excuses, but I promise henceforth never to disturb her quiet, and may she live long and contented with her dear Cardinio, as I hope to do with my dearest Dorothea. Cardinio, Lucinda, and the greatest part of the company could not command their passions, but all wept for joy, even Sancho Panza himself shed tears, though, as he afterwards confessed, it was not for downright grief, but because he found not Dorothea to be the queen of Mycomycona, as he supposed, and of whom he expected so many favors and preferments. Cardinio and Lucinda fell at Don Fernando's feet, giving him thanks with the strongest expressions which gratitude could suggest. He raised them up and received their acknowledgments with much modesty, then begged to be informed by Dorothea how she came taught hat place. She related to him all she had told Cardinio, but with such a grace that what were misfortunes to her proved an inexpressible pleasure to those that heard her relation. When she had done, Don Fernando told all that had befallen him in the city after he had found the paper in Lucinda's bosom which declared Cardinio to be her husband, how he would have killed her had not her parents prevented him, how afterwards, mad with shame and anger, he left the city to wait a more convenient opportunity of revenge, how, in a short time, he learned that Lucinda was fled to a nunnery, resolving to end her days there if she could not spend them with Cardinio, that, having desired those three gentlemen to go with him, they went to the nunnery, and, 
Waiting till they found the gate open, he left two of the gentlemen to secure the door, while he with the other entered the house, where they found Lucinda talking with a nun in the cloister. They carried her thence to a village, where they disguised themselves for their more convenient flight, which they more easily brought about, the nunnery being situate in the fields, distant a good way from any town. He likewise added how Lucinda, finding herself in his power, fell into a swoon, and that after she came to herself, she continually wept and sighed, but would not speak a syllable, and that, accompanied with silence only and tears, they had traveled till they came to that inn, which proved to him as his arrival at heaven, having put a happy conclusion to all his earthly misfortunes.